It's time for episode 40 of the Clockwise podcast from your pals at IDG, recorded June 5th, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where we can sleep when we're dead. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I am sitting across a literal table, a literal table from my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Dan. Usually our table is metaphorical. I can't quite see you because there's like four recording arms in our way, (laughs) but I trust that you're there. I am here. This is a very special episode. We're recording um, at the week of the Worldwide Developers Conference here in San Francisco. Yep. Apple's uh, developers are here, and many uh, podcasting and developer luminaries are present, two of whom are with us today in in the studio. Special special guests. guests. Yeah, I know. This is pretty exciting. Uh, So to my left is Mike Hurley, who you may know from podcasts such as Command Space. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for having me here. I think you win the, um, do you win the award for having come the furthest, at least the four of us? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'm a little bit behind you. Uh, Stephen, I don't know where you came from, but I'll let Jason, I'll let Jason do the introduction. (laughs) I stepped on toes. To to my left is Stephen Hackett, who you may know from such podcasts as The Prompt, which also has Mike Hurley on it, (laughs) as it turns out. Hi, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. For you to be. We're, we're glad is, to have you here. This, is, this very, is like an episode of The Prompt where it takes two men to replace your co-host, Federico. Yeah, he's very, he's very manly. He, it is. Dan and I cannot Not measure so up. So. Not so much. <laughs> this is how Clockwise works. We take uh, 30 minutes to talk about four technology topics in brief because we know that your time is very important to you. And so we will finish in 30 minutes or your pizza is free and our pizza budget is completely out. Since I got to introduce the show today, which is a real privilege for me, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to bring up the first topic, which is extensions. Uh, this week on, at the WWC keynote, Craig Federighi came out and talked about extensions, which are these little sort of plugins almost or you know actions that you can take that sort of allow apps a little bit of uh, inter-app communication. They let you do things by, say, performing an action in one app without having to open a second app. So the example he gave on screen was uh, one of them was uh, Bing Translate. You could just pop up the share sheet, tap Bing Translate. It would translate your entire page from Japanese to English or what have you. They take a couple different forms. Um, they seem to, to my, to my feeling, is that this really seems like a huge step forward for iOS. But I'm very curious to hear... What do you guys think of it? Mike? So for a while, I used Android. I tried out Android for like six months. And one of the big things that I missed from Android was the ability to take an item from here and do something with it over there. Because it just made it feel like I was using an OS that was all built to work together. So I'm really excited to see this coming to iOS. And I think the thing that we can't yet foresee is how this is going to look in third-party applications. So we've seen it in Safari. Right. Right? We've seen this is what happens when Pinterest pops up, and then you can add it to Pinterest. But what about an app like Launch Center Pro? What are they going to be able to do with extensions, and how will they talk to other apps? So this is one of those things where this looks really cool at the moment, and I'm super excited about it. But in the next sort of 12 months, it's going to get crazy. And this could really, really change the way that we work on iOS. Yeah, it seems like an exponential change to me, Jason. iOS, the iOS experience up to now has really been a a series of tubes. Finally, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, that's a system of tubes. Sorry, and that's the internet you're thinking of. A series of finely crafted boxes that are um, sandboxes, if you will. Actually, (laughs) they're completely separate from all the other boxes. And unless you want to, you can kind of hack together a workflow like the aforementioned Federico Vatici by doing uh, connecting apps together and they are all acting on copies of files and things like that. And it's not, it, it really has been uh, designed to be a, a bunch of solitary apps. And 
this is really exciting because normally an OS drops and you get the new features and then you kind of learn how to deal with them. And we're going to be having that OS is going to drop and a bunch of apps will drop on day one. But then every time there's a new app that you download, your experience can potentially change in lots, you know, maybe most, if not all, of your other apps because they will gain access potentially to the intelligence of the app you downloaded, even though you won't see that app. You'll just see like a little tiny bit of it sticking up out of the mm-hmm. water um, for a moment, and then it disappears back again like the Loch Ness Monster from where you come from, Mike, because you're <laughs> roughly. roughly. Um, and, and I think that's really exciting because then suddenly your app experience isn't just, I'm getting an app, it's going to be a nice little box on my, on my screen. I'm getting an app, and everything else on my iPhone or iPad gets better. That's really exciting. Stephen? Yeah, I think I think all that's definitely true. And what it adds up to is a faster, more powerful iOS. You know, I am basically OS ten centric because I can, if I'm writing or recording a show or something, I can do it just quickly. I can bounce around between apps quickly. And on iOS, it's do something in an app, hit the home button. You know, you have four copies, like you were saying, Jason, four copies of an image to edit it. And as these applications become more powerful and can do more things together. I think simple tasks now that are kind of endlessly and needlessly complicated on something like the iPad become a lot simpler and a lot faster, and that's what really excites me about it. Yeah, I was I was writing a piece about this this morning, and, and I was thinking about it and realizing I think a lot of us have always had kind of a, a mental unconscious asterisk next to iOS when it's been like, yeah, I could do this thing, except it would take all these steps. And, you know, you kind of adjust your parameters of your expectations to deal with, okay, I know that I can't do all these things on iOS because there are certain constraints, battery life and things like that. And so you don't necessarily push the envelope. You end up going back to the Mac a lot or you sort of develop clutches and workflows to work around it. And I think this might not erase it entirely, but I think that asterisk has sort of started to fade into the background. And what we're getting is, you know, iOS no longer as sort of an also-ran second fiddle, but it is something that is coming into its own, and it really has a lot of power to offer. And and Jason's totally right. The apps that we're going to see, someone's going to come up with something that not only blows our minds, but blows the minds of like you know the Apple <laughs> engineers who yeah. created this and be like, wow, we did not think you could do it for that. So there, there's a lot of little pockets for things to fall in in terms of like sharing widgets and things for the notification center. But there's also just this incredibly broad custom actions type, which sounds like you can do pretty much anything with it. It's nuts. And a lot, a lot has been said already about the confidence that Apple has shown this week, but I think the way I might phrase this particular version of it is, um, I feel like there was a little bit of an insecurity at Apple or a lack of trust with the third-party developers, Mm -hmm. that the core of what the iPhone or iPad was, was what Apple provided, and that all they were comfortable with were were the apps in those little boxes, and they weren't comfortable with third-party stuff impacting not just other third-party apps, but their apps, impacting Safari and changing how Safari works. And the Apple that we saw this week um, is happy to let developers do that. And they seem confident that this only makes their platform better and uh, stronger because they're going to be able to have these developers contributing. And that's a that's a dramatic change from the attitude Apple has had toward it's this a, stuff it's before. It's a philosophical change. Yeah. I'm very interested to see where it goes from here. A brave new world. So uh, that is our first topic. Mike, did you bring a topic for us? I sure did. Um, over the last 12 months, uh, we've seen come and go lots of photo services. So this is a Everpix, you know? Or one out for Everpix. I know. Oh, you, man. Loom. Yeah, Bought up loom. by Dropbox. <laughs> so there's, and then Dropbox have tried to do it themselves. And basically what we're seeing is a bunch of 
services pop up to try and take your photos and give them to you in some meaningful way that you can use. Apple has now come into the fray with this. We hope that they would. So what what was announced uh, on Monday was a new photo solution with iCloud um, in which they're going to take your photos from everywhere and make them easily searchable and store them for you forever for a relatively low fee. Jason, what did you think about this? I'm excited. I mean, first I'm excited. I actually deleted my photo stream today because I um, was told that I didn't have enough space in my iCloud backup. <laughs> Irony. Oh. Um, and uh, I mean, we've all been talking about this for a while now. It's so frustrating to not have... I've got an iPhoto library at home that's huge. I bought my first digital camera in 2001, right before my daughter was born. And so remember when iPhoto came out and Steve Jobs talked about how it was like the digital shoebox? It's like a floor-to-ceiling filing cabinet now, and iPhoto cannot, if you put all the photos you've ever taken in iPhoto, we ended up having to split our iPhoto libraries the other week, Mm -hmm. because literally you'd plug in a camera to import photos, and you had to walk away for 10 minutes Mm. while it thought about whether it should finally allow you to import them. Mm -hmm. And so I look at this, and I think it's great because, uh, first off, uh, the prices they're going to charge for storage seem really reasonable, like incredibly reasonable. Um, the idea that the photos that you have in the cloud are your full quality photos, they're not degraded, that you can count on them being there, but that they're not completely weighing down your your device, your mobile device especially, with all of them, but you can get them at any time. Um, and that with this Mac version of the Photos app coming next year, the implication is that all of my photos will be able to go, if I pay for the space, will be able to go up and I'll have that same relationship with them. They'll all be there. They'll all be backed up. I can get to them whenever I want and I can search them easily. And that's what I want. I don't like the fact that, and I'm convinced that I'm going to lose photos at some point if I haven't already because I've got two iPhoto libraries and some other photos on my phones and my iPads and and I try to back them up. We've, we've got Crash Plan and we're trying to back them up there and I've got an external drive because they don't fit on the SSD on my wife's MacBook Air anymore. And so we've got it's all fragmented, and it worries me because the, the, these are the you know the stories of my life and my my family's life, and I don't want to lose them. Um, and so this excites me because I feel like for a reasonable price, the photos will be everywhere, um, and they will no longer be this burden that uh, that not that iPhoto can't even bear to handle. So I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I, I totally agree that iPhoto is a disaster. <laughs> uh, my wife uses it at home, and she's you know complaining of there's four different ways to organize my stuff, and it's just really really hard to do. Um, but I think with the cloud stuff in particular, this shows a real step forward in Apple's sort of cloud strategy. You know, really at the core of it, if you take documents in the cloud and stuff away for a second, the core iCloud stuff is basically still mobile me. It's contacts, calendars, notes, that sort of stuff. And that all that all works, at least for me, really well. Um, and just to see Apple say, you know what, we're going to tackle something really big. Like photo management is huge. You know, there's, whenever Pix went under, sort of the prevailing story is that it was it's really expensive and it's really hard to store that much stuff. And for, for Apple to say, you know what, we're going to do this and by being built into iOS and then, like you said, next year, OS ten, that makes it a first-party solution. Everpix was sort of out there and people knew about it, but, like, our moms were never going to run Everpix. But if it's built into iOS, they might. And so it's a huge step of confidence for Apple to say, we can do this, um, and it's going to require some trust on, on a user's part. I'm going to try it out, but I'm going to be nervous until Apple can prove itself as, like, a big cloud storage company now. 
Yeah, and the reliability's been a, big, been a big problem with a lot of their services in the past, so a lot of us are very wary. I'm really interested in the stuff that they talked about with search, because as great as it is to have all your photos, if you can't find the one you're looking for, it's kind of pointless. And speaking, you know, as someone who, we've all had that experience, I bet, where we're sitting around and like, oh, I took this great photo, let me show you, and then you're like, scroll, 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 scroll. Yeah, it's in here somewhere, scroll, scroll, <laughs> scroll, like five minutes later, they've lost interest. This, yeah. took, this conversation has become derailed. Oh, it turns out I imported it to iPhoto and it's back home on my laptop yeah, and I right. can't show so, it to you now. So <laughs> uh, for me, I'm really curious and they showed off some some nifty ideas with metadata like searching by, by date when it was taken. So in theory, if you like type in like a month maybe or a month and a year, it can sort of narrow it down or if you type a location, if it's geotagged. Um, I really would love to be able to oh, picture with like, oh, I was taking a blue shirt. Like <laughs> yeah. if it can start parsing for that stuff, yeah. that'd be amazing. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's a that's another big problem. I'm curious to see if it's something that they can address because once we all have this like you know unlimited or nearly unlimited photo storage, we're gonna take so many pictures and you know, we are already inundated, as Jason was saying, our, our file cabinets are full. So how do you then winnow that down and find the picture that you're looking for at any given moment? That's a hard problem to solve, but I, I'm really intrigued to see what they do with it. I agree, and, and I think the searching stuff's really cool, and I think it's it's possible to do, like, the recognition of certain things, mm-hmm. right? So maybe that's something they'll do in the future. But just first, just give me somewhere to put them yeah. and have them organized. Yeah. Like, that's the first thing, because nobody has been able to effectively do that yet for a long term. But Apple's the one that can do it, because it's not their business. It's just part of the business. Hey, it's my turn. It's your turn. Let's yeah. talk about continuity, which is a mm. really... <laughs> Not my favorite word. I think that maybe it's not a, something that should be used in marketing terms. And then handoff, which is the subset of it, which also might be an issue. But uh, the concept here is really exciting. This is Apple announcing the um, something that in some ways only Apple could do because they've got a popular mobile platform and a popular desktop platform, which is the idea that you can take something you're working on on an iPhone and then pick it up on the Mac, or take something on the Mac and pick it up on the iPad, or take something on the iPad and pick it up on the iPhone, that uh, you can actually sort of transfer actions when you're in proximity of another device, and that it offers you, says, you you know, you were looking at this thing on Safari, would you like to keep looking at it on this other device, which is really interesting, um, a direction that it seems, it's the best kind of thing, right? It seems obvious. And yet, nobody was really doing it before. And so, I'm wondering what you guys think about continuity, handoff, and the rest. Stephen? Yeah, I agree that the names are pretty sad. But um, <laughs> I, I, for one, am, am really excited about this. And, you know, Apple, for years, I mean, as long as I can remember, Apple gets on stage and says, you know, we do hardware, we do software, we do services. Like, I'm talking with my hands like Tim Cook. <laughs> um, so, Apple says these things, but they kind of... Like, it's true, but it's also not true. And so what they're doing with, I think, continuity and handoff and all this new iCloud stuff is they are building a bridge, you know, bridging the gap between OS X and iOS. You know, they are, just like apps used to be siloed on your home screen. And, like, I can go into this app and do this. I can go into this app and do that. To a degree, it was like that with iOS and OS X. And as someone who sits in front of a Mac all day, like many of you guys, being able to do something like answer a phone call or, you know, I was working on this document on my iPad this morning, but now I'm at work and need to wrap it up on my laptop. Taking the friction out of that is going to be really nice. And it, you know, the Mac is smaller than iOS significantly. And so it's it's especially, I think, a big boost for the Mac. You know, they're trying to force that halo effect onto people. 
Yeah, if you want to continue that work you're doing on your iPad on your computer, get a Mac. And then right. they, they, what was the line that we were saying today? Better together. Better together. <laughs> Better together. <laughs> that should be in, in that should be their, a marketing that should be their slogan. Little slogan. Right. It's, it's their family of products now can be a family of products like within your house. Right. Yeah, and I mean, so many of us, so many, especially those of us sitting around this table, have many devices, and like going back and forth between them is still a pain. Um, and it is really interesting to see what they're doing with this. And it's another place, like with extensions, where the possibilities of like what a third party app can potentially do with it. Because I think that's that's the thing that sort of startled me about it when they announced it was not only that they, you know, this is a cool idea. I really love the idea of like, you know, moving back and forth between these devices. And it's something that Apple is really well suited to do. Um, but it amazed me that they're like, oh, yeah, and third-party developers, you guys can totally do this, too. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's a lot of possibility. And some of the stuff they've talked about in terms of the what, what they can do with that is just is really incredible. And I think we're going to see, like, extensions that uh, developers are going to come up with some awesome solutions that Apple didn't even anticipate, but they're going to figure out ways to do that. Um, and I think it's, it's a huge competitive advantage for Apple. Jason and I were talking about this a little earlier today, and we're saying, you know, even on the other its major competitors – Microsoft, you know, Windows is a big, you know, a big presence, but not all Windows users use Windows Phone. Like, there's not as many people by far using Windows Phone as there are using Windows. Google, I mean, you can go from an Android phone, but to what? There aren't as many Google tablet users. Chromebooks never really caught on. I don't like to read long articles on my thermostat, so I don't really want to jump to that. Uh, there's not a lot of options for Nobody else has this end-to-end capability in the way that Apple does. And the fact that they recognized that and said, hey, we can do this really cool thing where we just sort of establish this through line and you can go back and forth between many all of our different devices. It's something nobody else can really offer. offer and I think that's, that's a big deal for them. Yeah, because of the way and where I work, my iPhone is my most used computer by far because where I work in the day I don't have access to a Mac I don't have access to any of my stuff or kind of very locked down Windows machine so my iPhone is like the hub of all of my computing so now when I get home and I'm able to continue to use it that way what like via my Mac that's really cool like like the ability like the SMS stuff like just blew my mind I can send SMS text messages now from messages because of the way that your iPhone is working as like this bridge and the the way that you can now do the like the automatic uh, hotspot and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's making the iPhone like this this center of your whole computing. And I think that's I'm really excited like this is incredible now, but if we think about the evolution of this, it could be just completely cha- game changing. Yeah, I think the um, the thing that excites me is this idea, like I said before, that, that this seems obvious, and yet I think the best ideas are the ones that seem obvious in, in hindsight, but that nobody was really working on. And this is, I think this is the case where even Apple is showing a blind spot, where Apple thought of, like all of us do, uh, you know, the, I, the iPad is the silo. Uh, like those apps and boxes that I talked about earlier, it's like an iPad is its own thing and a Mac is its own thing. And to take a step back and look at people's lives in between the the devices and what happens and the fact that you are trying to hand these things off and you're not locked onto one device that's a fallacy the idea that you're either going to use a laptop or an iPad and not going to have both well first off that's wrong and then second you're going to use both of them and go back and forth um, to, to I think that's a really interesting moment of vision that somebody had in saying why don't we make 
all of those things better. And, and the, the funny thing is we all deal with it every day. We just don't think of it. We're like, well, now I'm not on my iPad anymore, so I need to right. transfer it. But somebody at Apple is like, we could do something here. And so I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm. This is the technology that they announced that I'm most skeptical about in, in, in terms of I suspect that there's going to be a lot of pain and a lot of things that are like, why did it do that? And I, it doesn't work the way I expected because I think it's really ambitious. But I think if they can if they can do it well and, and we're going to find what, what circumstances sort of people really want versus what they don't and which ones work well and which ones don't. I think we're going to learn a lot that we don't know now about uh, which parts of this work well. But um, in the end, I think it's going to be huge. I just think it's going to frustrate a lot of people in the next year, too. But I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to get started with it. Now, I wanted to, to talk to you guys about the redesign of OS X. You know, it had been rumored, and obviously with iOS 6 to iOS 7, a really big break. I think Yosemite's not as big of a break as iOS 7 was. It's more like the hit fast forward on the evolution button. And Aqua now is sort of in between what it was and where iOS 7 is. And I, for one, think it's, you know, for the most part, pretty nice looking. And I think it's a really sort of nice way to respect the bones of OS 10 and keep it what it's always been while having influence from iOS and see what you guys thought about that. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I think people expected a really, really radical redesign, and this feels like a nice sort of midpoint where it's not so jarring as iOS 7 was in many ways, um, but it's also, it is distinct, right? There's, there are definitely differences here, um, but it seems to meld with the iOS style of doing things, but in a particularly Mac-like way. Uh, and I, I like some of the smaller refinements that they've been doing there. You know, they talked a little bit about considering the very basic elements of, of the Mac windows, like the little red, yellow, green buttons. And I know, for example, they like functionality-wise, they changed that like green button, I think, is now like a full screen mode instead yeah, of a zoom yeah. thing that nobody ever understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I, I like that they're keeping... They, they, they could have just shied away from all of it and gone in like a totally different direction. I think it probably would have alienated a lot of people. But, you know, even th- those of us who used like, you know, original, the classic Mac OS, um, there's still a through line there. Like you still look at, you know, Yosemite and you're like, you can just trace a finger all the way back to the original Mac OS. There's still windows. There's still menu bars. Um, and I think they've done a nice job. I'm curious to see how it looks on like a day-to-day basis and whether it's something that I find enhancing or jarring or just it doesn't you know doesn't end up inf- affecting me um i know the translucent stuff is especially like contentious you know we all remember the what was it leopard had the translucent menu bar and everyone's like what yeah translucency mm-hmm. that's when yeah rob griffiths who used to work here would be like how do i turn that i'm off? never yeah. gonna I'd, upgrade i turned it off <laughs> yeah. on day one yeah <laughs> <laughs> me too me too i've got i've kind of gotten back around to it nowadays but like yeah i'm curious to see how that goes but i think it does a nice job of bridging the divide uh i think that Everything that they've shown looks really good, and, and I agree with you guys that it's like it's a logical evolution. And Dan, what you're saying, like from from the very beginnings of like you know Mac OS X and before, and you can see the the consistency between it all. I think that potentially that's maybe not enough. Like I think that there's there needs to be a rethink about. And Stephen is like dying as I say this. <laughs> I, I think that they need to to rethink the way that the desktop machine works, and that's what I'd like to see from this point. Like, we were having a discussion about the desktop and what is its purpose. Like, why do we have a desktop? We don't put things on it really anymore. Like, well, something. Have you like, seen my desktop? It's yeah. got like 40 files on it. <laughs> like, I never, I, because I haven't used the Mac for as long, I've been a Mac user since 2005, I maybe haven't, don't come with the same 
baggage. Uh, and I use my Mac differently. Like we were having a discussion over drinks about nobody uses full screen mode. Like I use full screen mode all the time. Like because it works with the way that I work. So I think I would love burn to the see- witch, burn him. Exactly. <laughs> I would love to see like the design is nice, but it, there's no big change. There's no like rethink about the way that the desktop machine is meant to be used. And I think that that is maybe for eleven the thing that they need to think about. I. I- I think there's a good question about whether Apple thinks the Mac is something to push forward or whether the Mac is something to be maintained and make friendly with the thing that is pushing forward, which is iOS. And part of me thinks that that even with all the changes we've seen at Apple, they still sort of see it as the – you can use that truck metaphor if you want, but as, the, as this thing that – the reason it has power – is because it is old school and it uses the old metaphors and that if they push it too far, people aren't – this is the lesson Microsoft learned with Windows 8 is that they wanted to make Windows into a thing that was like iOS and their users were like, no, 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 you don't understand. We use this because it's Windows and if we wanted to use iOS, we'd use it <laughs> and there wouldn't be any Windows anymore. And I, I think Apple has a little bit of that too in that um, I'm not sure – that the Mac, most of the people who use the Mac want to, you know, want it to progress necessarily. And that that sounds terrible, but I think maybe there's some reality in that. Um, I like, I, I, you said, you mentioned the fast forward metaphor, Stephen, on um, the prompt episode 51, which I was listening to in my car ride in this morning. Ah, power sliding. That's right. That was while I was power sliding down the Golden Gate Bridge. And, um, and you know, what, what was interesting is I agree with the metaphor, but I would say it's, it's almost like they're fast forwarding to catch up hmm. rather than fast forwarding to the future. It's yeah. almost like taking two or three generations of not a lot of progress other than some skeuomorphism coming and going (laughs) and trying to get it back in. For me, the big question is uh, about Retina because these don't look as good. This interface does not look as good on displays that are not Retina. And the problem is almost everything other than, I mean, unless you've got a, a fairly recent MacBook Pro, you don't have a Retina screen on your Mac. All the iMacs are non-Retina. The Mac Pro, unless you bought that sharp 4K display, is probably hooked up to a non-Retina display. If you've got a MacBook Air, it's not a Retina display. If you have a desktop display you hook your laptop up to, it's not a Retina display. (laughs) So, um, and as somebody with a MacBook Air and non-Retina external display at home and at work, I mean... It looks beautiful on Retina, but what does that get me? So that's my – I feel like we're in for a little painful transition here. And I, I've thought for a while now that this might be the year of Retina where Apple – by the time we get out of this year, there's very little left that isn't Retina. But for people who are still using those old systems, you know, this may be one of those things where you know, uh, Yosemite is less exciting for them than it is for people with new hardware. And in two years, it won't matter, and it'll be great. Um, but I, I, it's very Apple to say, look, we're going to make this look best on Retina, and then everybody else will just have to deal. Um, but it does look beautiful, and uh, they should ultimately be designing this thing for Retina. It's just uh, going to be a painful transition in the meantime for those of us who don't have those high-res displays. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of going back a second about about is the Mac in maintenance mode or is it evolving? I think part of that equation is that OS X as a platform is very mature. You know, speaking all the way back to the 128K, all the way up to what we have today, it's a very it's a platform that's been around for a long time. If you count since OS ten, you know, two thousand, two thousand one. And it's it's on a platform that 
has slowed down. The desktop and laptop computing market has slowed down, and all the attention is in mobile. And so I think there can be middle ground between maintenance mode and like aggressive pushing. I think that middle ground is where Apple's trying to be, where they they need to update it and maybe catch up. I think that's that's a good point. But I think at the same time, they realize that this is still a viable platform. If they didn't think the Mac was a viable platform, we would not have a new Mac Pro. Like, yeah, <laughs> like right. that, sort of, totally agree. that sort of investment on their hardware side, I don't think the Mac's going anywhere. But I think Apple has to find that, that path of these are the resources we can put towards this to keep it good and to keep our customers happy. Like, I don't want to use Windows. Like, sure. They're, they're going to have a user base for a long time. But I don't ever expect like that. Mike, what you were saying about we need to rethink about what the desktop does. Like, it's a logical fallacy that your hard drive is on your desktop, but Apple's never going to address that logical fallacy. Like, they, they made a they, new they, they made yeah. a new trash can, right? Well, yeah. they also tried the trash to can is still the, there. Uh, hard, you remember there was a default at one point. I think it may still be the default. <laughs> they hide it. Doesn't yeah, it doesn't show they up. They hide everything. It which freaks is, me out immediately. Yeah, I have to turn it on right away. If you're a gentleman, <laughs> you turn it back on. This was yeah. the discussion that brought that up for us. Is like. Uh, why? Why would I do that? Like, I just go to Finder or I search for it. That, that's me. Like, like, why would you put your hard drive on your desktop? That's What's where it belongs, Mike. That's where it lives. <laughs> I know. So it's it's. I think I think as interesting as iOS is, I think OS 10 has just an interesting of a future because of this thing. It's it's a different set of problems that face that face the Mac these days. But I think there's nothing on that list that's unsolvable. We all like to you know hang out this week and sit around and talk. I would like to ask you. What kind of beverage do you like to have on hand when you sit around and talk about this stuff? Me, in the summer, I like a, I like a nice gin and tonic. I like to drink what, what we call a vodka and lemonade, mm. but whenever I order it here, it's totally different. <laughs> because I have to order vodka and, like, Sprite. Yeah, because, <laughs> although I do like the, like, the American lemonade, like cloudy lemonade and vodka, but so it's, I have the two... The, it's the same drink ordered in the same way, but two very different experiences. So fancy. I like a I like a dark beer most of the year. So I would I would prefer uh, at the talk show live they had Guinness, so I had that. But I prefer a porter, like a good good old Anchor porter, maybe made in San Francisco or a Sierra Nevada porter. You know uh, the the which is an English beer actually. So there. I'm gonna sound super old fashioned. I actually have not had anything to drink this week alcoholic. Actually, I've kind of given it up. So I've had a lot of like. Fancy ginger ale or like fancy like strawberry mm. lemonade or it's really manly. We have been carefully watching the clock. That's literally all the time we have. Mike Hurley, thank you for being here. Pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. And Stephen Hackett, thank you. Thank you, guys. You can check them out together along with their Italian friend at 5x5.tv slash prompt. And uh, Mike's other podcast on 5x5 is Command Space. And you can get to it at 5x5.tv slash CMD. S-P-A-C-E. And once again, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody.